Welcome to the latest Spotlight on IRT podcast, where our experts talk about best practices in the field of clinical development and innovations to improve today's clinical trials. This podcast is brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies, the leader in interactive response technology. For more information, visit www.almacgroup.com. And now, here's your host, Matt Lowry. Greetings, and welcome to the Spotlight and IRT podcast. I'm Matt Lowry, and I want to talk about supplies. Here's what I've been seeing. Drug can be really expensive, and it can be in short supply. We need to find ways to ensure that we can keep drug costs down while keeping supplies available. Additionally, we are seeing an increase in instances where there may be two, three, or more trials using the same drug. It's something I wanted some clarity on since it needs a bit of explaining and branches between the IRT and the clinical supply worlds. Today we're going to be joined by Cheryl Cole, the Director of Strategic Solutions, and Luke Moyer, who is the Manager of LMAC Clinical Services Supply Chain Solutions, to help explain how this can make trials even easier to manage. Luke, Cheryl, welcome. Let's start at the beginning. When we say drug pooling, what exactly do we mean? Maybe we start with the supplies portion. Drug pooling is the use of a common product across multiple studies. And specifically what we're talking about here is pooling at a late, later stage in the manufacturing process. So all API essentially is pooled drug. Then drug product is pooled drug. It's really when we start to label things individually for specific protocols that we start to break that material up into different allocations. And so when we talk about pooled supply in clinical terms, we mean using one finished good item across multiple protocols. All right. So if we have kits one through a thousand, we'll say. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they go to study A, study B, or study C. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So how do you consider that then from an IRT perspective? Well, there's also two levels of pooling that you could do. So there's depot-level pooling as well as site-level pooling. So in looking at the supply chain and the IRT, we're going to have drug that's released and told to the IRT that, okay, we're ready to start ordering against the supply, whether it's going to another depot, it could be going to a site. Uh, So for a non-pooled study, all those supplies are protocol specific. So there's lots of different scenarios from an IRT perspective that we have to think about when pooling is introduced. And we'll probably get into that a little bit later, but just to go back to the idea of depot-level pooling is simply that drug is pooled up until the point we ship it to an investigational site. Whereas you can have site-level pooling, which means that those supplies continue to be non-protocol specific up until the point that they're actually dispensed to a subject or assigned to a subject through the IRT. So this isn't just for rollover studies or studies where you have an extension. This could be if you have four different protocols going on for the same drug on a clinical trial. You can... Correct, and it can be in both scenarios. So it could be you know, m- multiple protocols that are sharing a common supply type, or you could have different protocols all rolling into maybe an extension protocol, and only that protocol is pulling that type of supply since they're sharing that common product. When do you start considering drug pooling as, a, as an option? I mean, I start 
considering it every time I look at a study. I think, you know, when we consider the variability that goes into forecasting for drug supply in clinical studies, a lot of that is going to be based upon uh, patient enrollment, when those patients are going to come into the study and where they're going to come into the study. So when those patients come in and where they are going to come in is very difficult to predict, okay, to, to the point where we're seeing forecast accuracies for enrollment, which, by the way, is a it's very tough job that Kinda our like clinical teams. Kind of shaking a magic eight ball. Yeah, right. It's it's really really tough based on a lot of factors like, you know, how prevalent the disease is or what that epidemiology is, how well the study is advertised, how much competition there is, what's the unmet need. So predicting when a patient's going to come in is really tricky. Well, if you take a couple of different studies that have forecasts that are all about sixty or seventy percent accurate, then. It really makes sense that you create a drug supply that's flexible so that it can flow to where the greatest need is. Now, there's a couple of things that have to exist for pooled supply to work, right? One is is that all of the studies participating in the pool have to use the same drug type, right? So if you have one study that's utilizing a 30-count bottle and another one that's utilizing a 45-count bottle, well, that's not an opportunity to pool drug supplies, right? The other thing is, is that the, the labeling and the packaging and all those things have to be aligned. And the IRT or an IRT platform has to be shared across the drug pool. And so really when I begin to consider it is when I look and I say, okay, where am I dealing with a drug supply that is in limited quantity, is very expensive, is one that I want to, you know, optimize or maximize the use out of and answer, Matt, is that's just about every study. So where there are opportunities to utilize that common supply across those different programs, then I think we need to consider it each time that we're starting. And so from an IRT perspective, do you look at then one single list that goes in for all the studies, um, for the med list and the randomization for what those kits are going to be assigned to? I mean, for drug pooling, certainly we want to know as early as possible so we can design the IRT appropriately. In essence, you know, all of those protocols have to be linked together. And to your question about the kit list, we need to be flexible. So for pooled studies, they don't have to share all of the product types as long as they have one product type in common. And again, you might have a a suite of two studies, four studies, six studies, and they may not all have the same one product, two product, or three product types, but they may have some combination. So some protocols may have their own supply types specific to that protocol, but one that's common against one or more of the others in the program. So your lists are going to be different. There's no way that you're going to be able to have one medication list generated that's going to account for all the medication types for all the protocols, because protocols can also come on board at different points. You know, you might have a couple coming online this year, another one added a year later, a year after that. So we also need that flexibility. So from a list perspective, yeah, when we get started, we can have one central list for all the known product types for the protocol protocols that are coming online. And then later, we have the flexibility to add additional lists, add additional medication types. So just to follow on to what Cheryl said, and, and she nailed it, the reason that we need to have that one list and modules that are speaking to one another is that if a product is allocated to a particular study and that med number is used within the pool, then we have to know that it's not available for the other study. Right? And so if we don't have that common platform, 
in a med numbered situation, then creating that next sequence or the next drug order becomes challenging. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now, is it possible then to, if a lot of studies we see use comparators? Sure. So you have your drug pool of your actual drug and then pooling of a comparator and pooling of the placebo. Is it if one portion is pooled, does it all have to be pooled or can you use then drug pooling for just one, one of the treatments? Yeah, ultimately we build in all of the flexibility you need because not only overall for the study may one product type be pulled and others not, but you may have certain countries that can pull and other countries that cannot. So we would design up front in the IRT that flexibility to turn things on and off. Even a product type kind of to, to go on, if we say our active supply is going to be pulled you may have some that you're going to release that's protocol specific. We're starting off, we know we're going to pool eventually, but right now I have one protocol running. So it may not make sense for me to label that supply to be pooled because I know I don't have that other protocol coming on board for a year or more. So I want to label that protocol specific, but I know at some point in time I may begin to label it in a pooled fashion. So we will build all of those controls within IRT to support the flexibility um, for both the knowns as well as the unknowns for new countries, new depots, new studies that will come on board in the future. So are there some supply considerations? I heard the, the packaging and labeling. Um, that's a supply consideration then, and why is that? If we're saying, okay, we have a supply and we know that it's going to start in one study and maybe get used in other studies later, well, it makes sense that we include all the requirements for all of the studies where it's going to eventually be used. If you were to take this thing as far as it could go, essentially you could create a, a packaging and labeling consideration or configuration that could be used just about anywhere, right? And so where pooling really gets exciting is when you sort of take it to the place where you go, all right, well, I have a label that is approved for 50 countries. And even, even if I'm running a study in, in five of those countries, eventually, when the clinical team comes to me and says, hey, we want to do this other study, how long will it take for drug supply to be ready? And you say, well, it's, it, just give me a protocol number and it's ready. Then, then that's where pooling really gets exciting. But you have to bake into the finished good item all of the possibilities that could come up as that program expands. So, you know, that's, that's certainly one important consideration. There's the practical application of protocol-specific information to the product at the time that it is allocated to a particular study. That's another thing that you have to consider. Very often, that's done in just-in-time situation. And so the capabilities of the facility where you're working with to perform just-in-time activities is another important thing to consider. If uh, So just-in-time meaning... The order comes in and it gets created, packed, shipped within. So what we're saying in this case, you know, there's there's different forms of late stage manufacturing activity. Just in time manufacturing would be actually going from a bright stocked or completely unlabeled product to a product labeled specific to where it's going to be used. And when it comes to pooling, that is an option. But what we're probably talking about more commonly is the addendum of one aspect of the labeling, like a protocol number, that would be applied in the distribution suite at the time the drug order comes in to designate that product to a specific protocol. So is there an actual then drug type, uh, pill, capsule, vial, 
whatever it might be, that works better for actual pooling um, from both the supply and the IRT standpoint? I mean, I could, Cheryl, I could try to talk from the supply standpoint. Um, remember what we said, the product type has to be the same across all of the studies, right? When we think about those ones you just listed there, Matt, right? Pill, capsule, vial. Well, most of the time when vials leave a fill finish facility, they're all in, they're, they're just in one shape, right? It's a 100 meg vial, it's a 400 meg vial. Maybe there's a combination of those things. So they're perfectly suited for drug pooling. The other thing you see in, in biologic studies, which is a huge increase in biologic research right now, is that um, particularly in oncology, for example, a lot of times the dose will be based upon weight. And so the kit configuration doesn't necessarily change because the pharmacist at the time of drug prep will take the amount of vials that they need based upon the patient's weight. And so this usually results in a kit configuration that's a one-by kit for those types of studies, which makes pooling drug across a suite of oncology trials or biologic trials um, really a slam dunk, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep, and from an IRT perspective, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, pill, capsule, vial, um, the IRT is going to be tracking those units. The one thing to say is certainly serialized or numbered supplies are best, and that goes without saying for pooled versus non-pooling studies. So if you have bulk supply, non-numbered, certainly the, the tracking um, isn't as, I'll say, as accurate because you're not tracking each individual unit by that unique number. Now, that's not, to, that's not to say that pooling in solid oral dose is difficult or anything, but, you know, I mean, that, that's, it, just, it just needs to be a common uh, fill for those, uh, for those product types. But vials and syringes certainly lend themselves because ultimately they are uh, a bright stock material when, before we label them. Now, does this affect the return or destruction portion of the trial as far as the pooling? Or is, there, is that a non, non-starter, non, non-factor in this whole thing? I think it's probably a better IRT question about, you know, uh, accountability, verification, returns, destruction. I mean, but uh, ultimately, yeah, from I my mean, perspective. The not. accountability reconciliation is going to occur, um, you know, that occurs at the site level. At that point, your product becomes protocol specific. In most cases, of course, once it's um, assigned to a subject and they're returning it to the site and we're accounting for what has been dispensed, at that point, it is protocol-specific and no longer pooled supply. Um, but even before that, whether you're doing accountability reconciliation for non-dispensed supply or returning or destroying, all that information is tracked the same way in the IRT. So um, there's nothing extra, I would say, that has to be considered for a pooling scenario. When you're designing the IRT, does it affect reporting at all? Um, I think just in the, the attributes that we're collecting. Um, so in a non-pooled study, um, we simply know that all of that supply is linked to a single protocol. Um, but when we, we have pooled, we have extra pieces of data that we're tracking against the supply. Um, so at the point of release, is this medication kit, is it pooled? Is it protocol specific? And then the full chain of custody that comes after that. So you may have different points in time where it's changing from a pooled supply to protocol specific. And that may be different uh, depending on the country that's involved. Are we doing depot level pooling, site level pooling? So there's just extra workflows and visibility that you're going to want to that supply as it changes different designation. When we start looking at 
the drug pooling overall? Is this becoming more and more accepted by the client base that you're seeing? I, I, I certainly think so. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of different um, departments that end up being involved in the drug pooling discussion. So you'll find that uh, your biggest advocates are going to be the supply folks and CMC folks, right, because it's a way to conserve drug products. It's a way to reduce the number of jobs that we have to produce. It's, it's, it's a way of sort of, if you think about, um, you know, uh, uh, if you can visualize to our listeners out there, a funnel that has many spouts on it, right? We keep putting material in the top of the funnel, and then it flows to where it needs to go. The which coffee cup fills up first uh, puzzles that you see online. I haven't seen those, but that sounds about right. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out after this. Um, but uh, where we, where the, the added complexity is, right, is in some of the IRT builds. And very often you have clinical teams who are driving that and not necessarily the supply groups, right? And so there needs to be buy-in from the clinical teams in that regard. It could be some extra... Um, it could seemingly be, and I think that that's important, it could seemingly be extra complexity for the clinical sites, particularly at a site pool level. But when, you, when we're able to sort of debunk that idea and come back to the idea that now they have more space in their shelves or refrigerators and that the product that they have is a common product that can be used for the appropriate allocation, then, you know, we're able to sort of overcome those ideas. I think probably the, the trickiest folks to convince um, sometimes are going to be those folks responsible for your regulatory submissions because different regions of the world will treat drug pooling differently. And in certain situations, we can ship drug product that doesn't have a protocol designation into a, a country, right, and, you, and then label it at that depot or at that site. In other situations, we can't. So there is additional complexity that falls onto the regulatory group. And then finally, your, um, your quality groups will just want to make sure that whatever controls have to be built into the just-in-time steps associated with pooling are seen too. But um, that's something that uh, certainly we here at Almac and, and you know, a lot of folks have, have worked out um, very well. So, Luke, you brought up the R word, regulatory. Regulatory. How does <laughs> drug pooling affect countries where you need a QP release? So what happens there, Matt, is if there's a QP release that's required, it has to be after the last manufacturing step. Okay. Okay. So if we're pooling drug, the last manufacturing step would be the application of the just-in-time label. Um, what we'll do is a interim QP release, right, with a verification step for compliance at the end of that. So that really is going to be uh, an extra step that happens in those, country, in those countries requiring QP, but um, that's something that we can handle with sort of streamlined processes and, and enough uh, control steps ahead of time. So really, we're just looking at that last aspect. Put a process in place and trust the process. And trust the process. You got it. So from a IRT perspective then, this seems like the considerations really become how you're managing your list, your accountability. How do you handle depot-to-depot transfers? Well, it's more than really just those touch points that you said, Matt. There's a lot to consider within the IRT design. Um, 
there are a lot of features and functions that touch the supply. And again, depending on if you're talking about depot-level pooling or site-level pooling, and as I mentioned, allowing the flexibility for different scenarios for those that allow pooling versus those that must be protocol-specific. Um, so let's use your example of, I think you said, depot-to-depot orders that we have to raise within the IRT. Um, so typically we'll have a flag on that depot whether or not they can support just-in-time labeling. Can they accept pooled supply or does it have to be protocol specific? So the IRT is smart enough to know that when we're raising an order to that depot, do I at that point have to flag it to say at this point in time it has to become protocol specific and then we notify uh, the depot to say, okay, you must then apply that protocol specific label and ship it to that depot versus the alternative scenario is that depot can support just-in-time labeling. They can accept pooled supply. So simply, we package up that order, and it can be shipped out as is. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the complexity in this whole thing really falls on the IRT's ability to manage that. And so having a robust solution in place for the IRT is the, is the biggest thing. You know, not to belittle the effort that's required on the physical side, but it's all about traceability and making sure that material in the supply chain is tracked from cradle to grave, and that's really going to live in the IRT. Right. A parallel existence in the MRP system, but you know, the IRT as far as far as driving drug inventory and ordering and management and reconciliation. You know, a lot of the onus lies in the IRT. Yeah, you want to rely on the IRT to fully automate all the processes and the checks and the flexibility. You don't want to have to rely on humans remembering, oh, this certain country can't accept pooled supply or this site is, is doing pooled versus protocol. So you build all that into the technology and you can trust in that and trust in the data that you're seeing through the reports. When we start looking at that then and building that IRT out, you have to start with a robust system in your IRT. Who are the key stakeholders, though, in defining those requirements? Is it, is it the team? Is it supplies? Is it everybody? I, I know sometimes you have too many cooks in the kitchen. Things become really muddled. And Yeah, I mean, you're going to start with your, your drug supply managers, your IRT vendor, of course. Um, but there's other stakeholders as well. Um, you know, one thing you always have to remember is integration. These days, all of our systems are integrated. Um, so it's not only, you know, the sponsor um, and your IRT vendor. You may be working with, with other um, distribution vendors as well. What systems do they have? You know, how are we going to let them know they have to raise an order? What information do they need? Um, we have our, our our statisticians, right, if they're going to be creating the list. So how, what does that list have to look like? Um, something we didn't touch on when we were talking about lists and pooled supply is, um, as I mentioned, you might have certain medication types that are only being used in a certain protocol. Those protocols may be added many years down the line. We have to make sure that all these things sync up. All of our medication types are unique. Um, uniquely identified by a code. All of our sequence numbers, our kit numbers are unique, that there's nothing overlapping. Um, so we really have to manage this at the program level and keep track of, of all those uh, factors, which again, it's a little bit different when we're managing a, a pooled program versus protocol specific, where you may be heads down just focused on that protocol specifically. And data management groups you know, within the clinical team might vary in approach because you, you could have um, different groups across different indications for the same product, for example, and they'll have preferences and things like that. So getting everyone on the same page, you know, it, it, it requires attention, I think. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I, Absolutely. Yeah. And you have these, these groups and you got to consider your data transfers out of the system to everything else. Um, 
as far as putting that then into practice, do you have to consider then the a data exchange or integration between the ERP system and the IRT system for that automation portion? I know earlier we said we want to eliminate that human intervention and having a human have to remember, oh, this depot gets non-numbered or non-specific supply. And I think, you know, every, I'll say, sponsor or, you know, supply vendor operates a little bit differently. They have, you know, different systems in play. Um, some have automated feed of that data into the IRT, which mm-hmm. is great, right? It reduces that data entry, um, you know, error you know, any type of issues there. So when you do have that set up and you're introducing pooling, they the data may be coming slightly different than usual, right? So instead of saying, you know, it's for this one protocol, right, we have to consider it's now for pooled. So we have to understand how that data is going to flow and how the IRT should recognize that so we can pick up on the pooled study versus the protocol specific. Um, but certainly you don't always have to have integration. Um, we certainly have user interfaces built into the IRT um, that will allow you still to do any data entry uh of manual drug releases so you can do the same thing you know say the supply is going to be released at a certain location it's for you know this pool of supply or it's for this protocol specifically of this medication type yeah you know i think i think matt like overall it's good like outside of the pooling discussion that these systems are talking to one another uh you know uh we here, here, for example, at Almac, we have the ability for IRT data to feed back into our MRP system for forecasting purposes, right? And so each site within the protocol will be set up as a, as a mini org within that system, within the ERP, MRP. And so um, that integration is certainly advantageous, regardless of whether we're, we're in a pooling situation or not. But, you know, those systems need to talk uh, to create the sort of most streamlined approach to um, forecasting and and to subsequent production that results. As far as returns for pooled drug, sometimes there's needs to be a return of that drug. Um, site decides you know has too much, needs to ship it back to the depot. Sure. Anything, <laughs> any considerations there? I, I know it happens, and is that still something that you can address with? The pooling, or is once it's been labeled, it's can't be relabeled. Right. Well, no. We we try to discourage um, site to site transfers or site to depot to site transfers whenever possible. It just is. It's uh, it, it introduces risk into the supply chain um, that uh, we try to overcome with with good planning. I mean, there are situations where it may become necessary. Uh, ultimately, that's a last resort. Um, I don't think that many IRTs would have a standard module that's built in for drug returns or site-to-site transfers. Typically, and Cheryl, you can speak to this, typically that that would require some manual intervention um, because it's not the way we should be working, right? Having said that, and I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, Matt, with, with drug pooling, right, we just have to make sure that there's full traceability and chain of custody, right? And so if something is allocated to a particular study, then as Cheryl said earlier, it's part of that study then. And, and so the returns process just follows as it naturally would. Um, if, and it's, it's, Cheryl had mentioned, you know, there's really two places to pool in this conversation that we're having here. One is at the time of distribution. Another is at the time of allocation to a patient if a site is participating in multiple studies. That's far less common. But if there were drug return, 
um, that would happen prior to that site allocation, right, then that would require some special attention. Right? I mean, it's coming back. It's going out in the pool. And Cheryl, what, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Like, it's going out in the pool, and then it's coming back, having not been allocated to a study. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it would come back with uh, that program ID, right? right. So the we program ID, right. As opposed to the protocol number. Right, which is worth mentioning. So so we, we didn't really sort of touch on that earlier, but when a pool is set up, typically it's done at a program level. And so if you have a drug that's, uh, you know, ALM123 or, or something like that, right, and then that has several studies of phase two or phase three that are like 201, 301, something like that, very often we'll sort of uh, we'll build... Um, an identifier at that program level, ALM123, and then at the time of allocation to the study, it would move into 201 or 301. And a similar approach would be taken in the physical labeling of the product, where it may have that that uh, root of the program on the label, and then we would add the suffix that's appropriate to the, to the drug pool. Everything sounds great for drug pooling, but where do you see then concerns or pitfalls when it comes to actually utilizing this where have you seen this fail? Yeah, and I think we've been touching on it, or at least me, you know, it's, it's the flexibility. Um, it's all the what-if scenarios. And, you know, the good thing, you know, here at Almac, we have a lot of experience with drug pooling. So we've seen some of those pitfalls, and it's planning ahead. Um, sometimes you can go in and you're like, oh, that's never going to happen. Um, and lo and behold, <laughs> that one scenario um, does does crop up. So even if you start off, you know, knowing you have certain countries, you know you're going to pool a certain way, um, planning for those what-ifs, even if it's a low percentage chance so that we can react quickly and, you know, kind of change our minds with some of those initial thoughts around the design of pooling. I think there's, there's additional complexity in a supply chain. Um, you know, if we're looking at a, a traditional scenario, I mean, uh, what I'm saying is a non-pooling scenario, right? Then drug product or finished good items are manufactured at a manufacturing location. They're distributed to uh, depots throughout the world. And from those depots, they're distributed to clinical sites, right? I mean, that, that's, that is, is, is a feat in itself sometimes, but like I'm, I don't want to oversimplify it, right? The, the thing with drug pooling is, is that you have um, differing approaches, perhaps by region, right? Where you may have a central depot that can go direct to site uh, from a pooled supply and allocate the material at the time of distribution, where in other regions, uh, you might have to allocate material to that study at the time you dispatch it to the local depot, in other situations, you can dispatch pool drug to the local depot. And so there's nuanced work and awareness and management requirements that would fall upon the supply chain management group to understand where those rules apply throughout the supply chain, right? And so um, it's, I would never say that clinical supplies are ever on autopilot, right? But it takes a little bit more thinking when when we were sort of embarking upon that. You need a supplier who has an expertise in managing supply chain. Yeah, I mean it takes it takes the resource to say, okay, I can do this here and I can't do that there. It's 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 you know, you have to know what the score is across the whole supply chain. I mean other other things that cause problems and, you know, we're really hammering them here is, you know, that the IRT isn't doesn't have the flexibility to sort of have to view that one 
lists across multiple sites. Maybe you start with one IRT vendor and move to another. Well, that sort of blows the whole thing up there, right? Or, you know, uh, having material located in, in different places can make things more tricky. Um, not baking all the requirements in for all the studies that would be involved in the pool into the drug product itself um, could lead to multiple iterations of that finished good and then further, um, you know, break up the pool. Mm-hmm. So I think all, all, it's really it's really important when you're when you're thinking about this that um, you you move to a higher level view of not just what's happening within this study, right? But what could happen and ask yourself, you know, can I foresee situations for studies that may not even exist, right, where I could use this drug product? And what do I have to consider to make that idea a reality when those studies come up? So is it including countries that we're not currently going to? I mean, like, that's that's something that people very often aren't considering, but... When we, when we do start to wrap our heads around those concepts, then, you know, it'll take supplies off the critical path, which is something I'm really excited about because essentially we'll be good to go as soon as we get that protocol designation. If you remove supplies from the critical path and IRT can be removed from the critical path, you're in a really good spot for your trial. At least yeah. I think you are. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that'll ever completely happen, but it's <laughs> nice to think about. Yeah. Awesome. Any best practices or any... You know, pointers that you could recommend to everyone listening out there that they want to move forward with something like this that they should really consider and put into their their practices internally? Sure. Uh, so we, we've hit on some of them, right? That sort of forward thinking. Um, and uh, this, this could require collaboration across um, multiple teams within your clinical group within your planning groups. And I'm speaking to the sponsors now, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could have one uh, product for, you know, uh, for dermatology that could also be used for some other diseases like Crohn's disease or something like that, right? So those might be different clinical teams that are working on those. So bridging that gap is a first step in sort of understanding how one product could be used in multiple locations there. And I think that that's, that's really an important thing. The other thing I would say is just get informed about drug pooling because there's huge advantages, not only from a financial perspective in that we're conserving drug product and making sure that it goes to where the greatest need is, but we're also reducing the resources needed to create new jobs every time we have to resupply a particular study and consolidating that work in a way that really sort of saves money and resources and, and those are really precious commodities in the work that we do. The technical <laughs> build on this thing, I mean, is there, I mean, that might be more of like a trade secret sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, say, in a perfect world, I mean, you have this standard functionality, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, like all of these things have been thought about ahead of time, mm-hmm. right? So like, I don't know if that's, you know, it's like you shouldn't be going into pooling like, okay, let's figure this all out on the fly. Right, like right. You, it's just like, you know, core IRT where it's like randomization. These are the standard ways to approach 
Right. So going into your IRT design for drug pooling um, should be as, I'll say, as simple a concept as, you know, if you're approaching randomization and you have standard methodologies that you may use, centralized, site stratified. So when you're approaching IRT with drug pooling, you have standard functionality. So we've done drug pooling on lots of different programs. We know how they tend to work. We know what the pitfalls are. We know the flexibility that we need. So we would, you know, work with the sponsor to say, okay, this is our workflow in the RT. This is what we've proven out. This is what works well. And, you know, we would go back back and forth. We'd demo that functionality and find out, well, what's different about this program? What's different about maybe some of the partners on this program, mm-hmm. the different depots that are involved and how they need to receive orders? Um, we talked about data integrations. What are the data integration points? What may be slightly different for this program than, say, our, our starting point in the IRT system? Um, so we don't want to start with the IRT with okay, drug pooling, let's learn about it. We know a lot already about drug pooling, and we know how, in essence, it should flow. But just like a protocol has different designs, your pooling may have different touch points based on the product type, whether it's cold chain, controlled substance. So there's some different factors that you may have to consider for your specific program of supply. So that's what we should be focusing on and not just, you know, drug pooling one-on-one, let's say. Yeah. And I think all these, all these concepts, right, you know, we as people in this industry have a responsibility to understand them, right, and to get good at them. This is a better way. When, when, when you look across any type of supply chain, late-stage manufacturing is hands down, right, the, the most appropriate way to minimize costs. To reduce waste, right? If you can wait until the last minute, until you have to dedicate something to a particular need, then you will ultimately get more efficient use out of that. So we have a responsibility to learn how to make drug pooling work as an industry. And, you know, we talked on a little earlier to say, like, you know, what is it that holds us back? And most of that is this sort of conception that it's very complex, that it's sort of riddled with pitfalls. And, you know, maybe... 10 years ago, that may have been a little bit more true. But I think, you know, now we're getting good at it, right? And so, you know, the advice to sponsors out there is to learn about this. And if you have to sell it to your internal partners, then then sell it to your internal partners. But, I mean, get educated. Get informed on how it works. And if you don't know, then ask somebody, right? Because there are plenty of people who do have experience in this. And I think that we'll be better off as, as an industry for... Um, learning about it with a podcast like this, man. So thanks. Yeah, good work. All right. Well, thank you both very much for the time. I appreciate it. Two big takeaways that I have from this. One, you can still maintain chain of custody reconciliation for each individual project. And with proper planning, a trial can really harness drug pooling to incorporate efficiencies and reduce all sorts of cost overruns. I hope this was enlightening for you as much as it was for me. So until next time, I'm Matt Lowry, and this is the Spotlight on IRT Podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Spotlight on IRT Podcast, brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies. If you have a question for our host or would like to suggest a topic for our next podcast, please visit our podcast page on Almac Clinical University at university.almacgroup.com.